Hello everyone, my name is Jason Ramirez and welcome to Season 4, Episode 1 of the Hit List Podcast. A podcast where me and a guest cross off films from our watch list by watching them. I'm joined today by a returning guest. She's a YouTuber, she sings, and she wears glasses just like me, Sophia Fan. Welcome, Sophia. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me back. Before we get started, I have two questions for you. Last time you were here, it was around May and the episode was released in September. Can you tell me if your viewing habits have changed much since the last time you were on the show? Um, no, it's pretty much the same. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah, I will say that during the winter months, I started getting less motivated to like watch movies just because i don't know i guess the weather just does that to me but it's getting sunnier and i feel more motivated now so (laughs) (laughs) that's the opposite of me whenever it's like winter i have more of an excuse to watch more movies and when it's summer i feel guilty of watching movies because it's such nice weather outside so it's kind of opposite for me um, but I, I don't believe you. I think you have watched more movies. Like I follow you on Letterboxd. You log in a lot of films like practically daily. So that was like in the fall. I feel like for winter, it like dwindled a little bit, especially like okay. around New Year's. Okay. I believe you. I believe you. So second question, and it's related to this show, but what's your favorite place of all the places you've traveled? Hmm. My favorite place? I, I think... I would say Singapore. Singapore was really enjoyable. I went there over two years ago. Yeah, I went in 2019 before the pandemic and I went with my family. Well, originally we we went on a trip to Vietnam and then as like a little side trip, we went to Singapore because we were in Asia already and it was really fun. It's very humid, so humid. I went in September and (laughs) that was almost unbearable but what really made up for it was the food i really loved the food there and i think it was very memorable that's nice i like that you're like somewhere and then you decide hey might as well go to this place you know yeah i had similar experience i went to denmark also in 2019 and that was probably like one of the best trips i ever had in my life because i was halfway across the world from where i live and i was by myself and it was up to me to to like have fun (laughs) that and yeah, that's probably like one of the, my favorite places. I've been to like other places. Like I've been to LA a couple of times. I really love Honduras. That's where my mom is from. I spent time there for my birthday last year. But Denmark, that was like when I felt like my own person, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. All right. So the reason I asked this question is because this film takes place. Uh, well, actually not this film, but actually a trilogy of films. So these films take place in Europe. Each movie takes place in a different part of Europe. First one in Vienna, second one in France, Paris specifically, and the third one in Greece. So if you are a cinephile, you probably already know the movies we're going to be talking about today. We'll be discussing the Before trilogy directed by Richard Linklater. The films are Before Sunrise, Before Sunset, and Before Midnight. Sophia, do you want to explain why we're watching a trilogy instead of like two regular two movies like we usually do on the show? Or do you want me to go over it? Well, when you first invited me back to the podcast, you asked me what movies I wanted to watch on my watch list. And I said before sunrise. And because it had been on my watch list for so long, and I was like, you know what? I really want to watch this movie. Like I've heard so much about it. People always say it's one of the best romance films. And I love romance movies. So I figured why not you know and then you're like oh i've been meaning to watch like all the before movies so let's just do all three (laughs) 
and we're here now. That's what we're doing. We're yeah. watching, we're discussing three movies. It's the first time I'm doing this, so if we like kind of, if I kind of ramble too much or we go on too long, well, it's my first time doing three movies, but we'll make the best of it. I, I did a lot of research into these films, and I really like them. I'm going to say right here, mm-hmm. right now, I really liked all of these movies. One of them more than the other two, but that's just my opinion. How about you, Sophia? Did you like all of them or just a couple? I did like all of them. I will agree that I did like one more than the other, but I, I feel like that's bound to happen when it's like <laughs> sequels. Yeah, especially with a trilogy. Like that I kind of see with like all a bunch of trilogies. The one I'm thinking of right now is the Dark Knight trilogy. There's Batman Begins, The Dark Knight, and The Dark Knight Rises. For the longest time, I always like ignored Batman Begins. But when I go back and see it, I'm like, this was foundational to The Dark Knight. And then Dark Knight stands by itself. It's great. And Dark Knight Rises, I don't like to talk too much about Dark Knight Rises. <laughs> <laughs> so before we get started into the movies themselves, I want to talk about the director. His name is Richard Linklater. Did you happen to look up his filmography, Sophia? Uh, I know he worked on Dazed and Confused. And then, okay, like, I didn't look too much into him, but then mm-hmm. when I was reading up, like, interviews, someone mentioned School of Rock. Yes, that, yes, yeah. that's the one I was yeah. talking about, too. I was so surprised. I was like, I love School of Rock. It's been a while since I've seen it, but I do remember liking it, specifically because of Jack Black, you know? Yeah. Almost every Jack Black movie that, like, came out during that time period is, like, influential to the person I became now. And that's a good thing. <laughs> that's a good thing. <laughs> so like Natural Libre, Kung Fu Panda, and School of Rock. That should be the Jack Black trilogy. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that on another day. So Richard Linklater, he's an American film director, producer, and screenwriter. He has a writing philosophy when it comes to the before trilogy. He says that you can only take the script so far by yourself. You can set and solidify the foundation, but in order to build, you have to have cooperation. This is what happened with the before trilogy. So Ethan Hawke and Julie Delpy, who star in these movies, who are the main characters of these movies, they co-wrote the second two, and they got the credit for that. And they also co-wrote the first one, but they didn't get credit for that because of some something that had to do with the union. They couldn't do it. They couldn't say they, they were credited for it, but they also co- co-wrote the, the characters. And before, before before Sunrise, like you said, he did make Dazed and Confused, and it was targeted towards like the young male audience. And he wanted to make something that was for both men and women from both perspectives. Something that like they can both watch. And that's what Before Sunrise is and what eventually became the Before Trilogy. So we're going to talk about Before Sunrise. Before Sunrise is a 1995 romantic drama film directed by Richard Linklater and co-written by Linklater and Kim Crisden. The first installment in the Before Trilogy follows Jesse and Celine as they meet on a Eurail train and disembark in Vienna to spend the night together. The film stars Ethan Hawke and Julie Delpy. Sophia, tell me, what were your initial thoughts on the movie when you finished it? My initial thoughts, very magical. It was very carefree. They mentioned, I think Ethan Hawke's character, Jesse, mentioned he was 23, like his character was 23 in the mm-hmm. movie. And I'm like, oh my gosh, 23? They're like young. They're our age. Yeah. <laughs> and it's interesting to see like someone our age go through something like that. And it's like, wow, this is like, it's like a fantasy. If you imagine going to a country and like meeting a stranger and falling in love, that's like, yeah, that's a a movie. And that's basically what this is. I personally was very surprised by the format of the movie. Before going into it, I didn't really know much about the trilogy and like the way it was filmed 
or whatever. So I was very surprised that it was dialogue heavy and like it was just following these two people going through Vienna and like talking and just hearing their conversation. And it was very realistic. I gotta say, I don't think I've ever seen a movie quite like this. It's unique. Yeah, definitely. I don't think I've ever seen one since then, even though I've watched it. I watched it a couple weeks ago. I still, I still don't know about any other movie that was like this format. I did some research and apparently there were some French New Wave films that had that similar format, but not really for Americans. So I really liked it as well. And like you said, I wasn't familiar with it either. The only way I knew about it was because um, I occasionally shopped the Criterion Collection when I was looking up like uh, the half-off sales. I saw that the Before Trilogy is one of the most popular listings from the Criterion Collection. And I was like, what is this? I never heard of this. I knew it had Ethan Hawke on it. And I know Ethan Hawke from Gattaca and Training Day. I knew I knew it from two films that I really liked. But other than that, I didn't know too much about it. So I didn't really like look into it. Until my friend Zachiel, he was on the Hit List podcast, New Year's Special, which you're in too, by the way. And he said he wants to do Before Sunrise and Before Sunset, but to cut down on time, he said he liked Before Sunset some more. And I trust his opinion on movies, so I said, you know what, might as well watch it. And then you said Before Sunrise a couple weeks after that, not even a couple weeks, like a week after the release of the Hitless Podcast New Year Special, which you're also in. And um, I was like, you know what, might as well watch it. So, and I agree with you too, like, if it was just audio, it would be in podcast, Right. It would have been a podcast. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What did you think of the cinematography? I really liked the opening shots. They were very, like, it, it set the tone really well. And it really gave us an idea that they're in a foreign country and that we're traveling with them. And having been to Europe, it, it was kind of, like, nostalgic to me. And it's like, wow, I kind of, like, missed that. Mm-hmm. That could have been me when I was <laughs> studying abroad. <laughs> like, where was my before sunrise moment? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I I saw some um, reviews on Letterboxd that said, like, I'm never going to be on the bus the same way again. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was being expecting, like, is my before sunrise moment going to happen today or not? Or am I going to let it slip? Yeah, I agree with you, too, on, like, it felt nostalgic in a way because I haven't traveled much in my life, especially not to, like, Europe. I've only been there, how many times have I been there? Like, twice. Yeah, once when I was like 16, when I went to Greece, which is why I really liked it before midnight, because I went to Greece around the same time that movie released, and to Denmark as well. So yeah, it's something nostalgic in a way. And I liked how the cinematography, it, was, it wasn't it was like moving too much. It was just like a still shot, but there was movement within it. And I kind of said, like, this kind of feels like a postcard. It feels like a video postcard, if that makes sense. And yeah, I really liked the cinematography there. So there were some moments that made me gush in the movie. Like I was, I just felt I felt myself smiling a lot. But can you tell me, did you feel those moments? And what was like the scene that made you feel that, like when you were smiling a lot? Well, if anyone listening to this follows me on Letterbox at Eat My Fanny with three ends, <laughs> <laughs> I specifically named a scene, and it was the scene when they were in the listening booth. Mm -hmm. And I don't remember what song they were listening to, but they were like, one character would be looking away and the other one would be looking at them. And then it would just like switch off and they would just like, I don't know, the glances. I I don't, it was just so pure and I felt so flustered for them. I'm just like, oh my gosh, just kiss already. (laughs) (laughs) That was the same scene for me. I was like, yo, 
okay, okay, the tension is there, like the attraction is there, and they eventually do kiss in the movie, uh, in the what was it? It was like the Ferris wheel, right? The Ferris wheel, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm also a huge fan of like carnival scenes in movies, especially when they're done right. I feel like they did it right in here too. Like it's just like a correct amount of like darkness and light where you can see them, but it's like not too not too bright. Were there some moments where you're like, huh, this is a little weird. This movie is about when two people meet for the first time and they really like each other, and they kind of ignore certain like I don't want to say red flags, but I think that's the right word. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. But did you notice? I guess quote unquote red flags. Like, huh, that's a little suspect you know did you notice that okay let me look at my notes because i i was just like writing my thoughts down as like (laughs) as everything was happening oh okay okay so like they were still on the train and then all of a sudden jesse was just like talking about death with her and i was like bro you just met why are you so intense (laughs) 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 and like i i felt that throughout the movie and i was like this man is Oh no, he's a little obnoxious, not gonna lie. Like, he's just so, he's just so much. But then, like, she also matched him in a way. Like, I don't, I feel like she wasn't as intense, but like, she, I don't know, like, the chemistry was still there. But yeah, he was, he was a lot. I don't think, (laughs) (laughs) me personally, I would not get off a train with this man. (laughs) Was it because he mentioned death? No, it wasn't specifically about death, but I do think, like, he just, opened up like really fast oh okay yeah i see what you mean i see what you mean for me i kind of got that but i kind of like let him have that if that makes sense because men at that Mm -hmm. age are very arrogant and sometimes revealed too much uh i know because i'm a man (laughs) but um the one the one moment that i was like huh that's a little suspect was when that fortune teller lady she showed up and she offered to read Celine's hand to read her fortune and then she did it and then she like let her go she gave her tip and let her go and Jesse was just very annoyed by it and kind of made fun of her for that and I was like dude just I'm not into superstition that way I have like different type of superstitions but like if someone wanted to like have that moment I would let them you know but like people who who don't let them have that moment who are like obnoxious about it that's that annoys me you know and that yeah. anno- that's the part that annoyed me by Jesse and he's a very he's very cynical in that way. Yeah, I was about to say that moment specifically, but then I was just like, I was reading my notes, and then the first thing that I read was like when they first met. I was like, oh yeah, but yeah, um, <laughs> I was watching before sunrise. Well, I was watching all three movies with a friend because I was like, I don't want to like, I want to watch this with someone. And both me and my friend, like when Jesse was being kind of an asshole about it we were like what's wrong with him why is he being like that <laughs> it, like he reminded me of those people who like hate on astrology like yeah right. astrology might not be scientifically backed but let people like have their fun let people believe what they believe exactly and it's like those same people still believe in crypto and nfts anyway so <laughs> mm, yeah <laughs> do you think that if you watched this movie right when it was released, it would have had more of an impact rather than watching, knowing that there were sequels. Huh. See, the first part of the question before you finished it, I was thinking, when it was released, I didn't even exist. I wasn't even conceived yet. But <laughs> I see what you mean now. I see what you mean now. 
Yeah. Um, and before sunset, we're going to talk about before sunset, but the, when they begin the movie, there are three reporters asking him, because he wrote a book about the event, three reporters asking him, like, did they get together? Did they not? And some people are unsure. But can you repeat the question? Do you mean, like, um, what, kind, what type of impact do you, are you asking, though? Okay, because, like, for me, like, when I finished Before Sunrise, I was like, oh, man, I feel like I would have been more sad about their departure if I just thought that it was this was, like, the only movie. You okay. Know? But yeah. knowing that there were sequels and that they would see each other again, I was like, okay, well, I'm not as sad because they're going to see each other again. Mm-hmm. Okay, I see what you mean. Yeah, I definitely get that sense. Yeah, I would have been sad, too, if there weren't any sequels. Because it, it felt unfinished, in a way. Mm-hmm. And I, I kind of made this joke to myself, but I was thinking, like, one of those two are going to do the same thing to another person <laughs> before, they go, before they go back to their trip. I was just thinking, like, maybe Selene's going to jump off the train with another man, and then um, Jessica's going to do the same with another woman, and we're trying to, like, make that magic happen again. But it was just, like, a joke with myself. I was thinking that. But, yeah, mm. you're right. I would have been sad, too, because it felt unfinished. And in a way that, like, Before Sunset made it feel more complete. And Before Midnight added to that. So, yeah, I I agree with you there. Do you have any other thoughts on the movie that you want to discuss? Well, I did. (laughs) I really wanted to see that play about the cow. Yes! And they didn't go to see it. (laughs) I was really excited for that. (laughs) The whole movie, my friend and I were like, did they just not go to the play? What the heck? Like, they even asked him, like, what is there to do here? I mean, they just shoot down. Like, they, they just ignore the cow um, play. I'm like, yo, this really could have been something here. Mm-hmm. Hold on. I'm, I'm also looking for my notes, seeing what else I had here. Oh, yeah, six months. Oh, yeah, that's the part that annoyed me, that they didn't exchange contact information. Because it, it's even hard. It was even harder in the 90s to, like, reconnect with someone that you, like, kind of did. Nowadays, it's easier. We have, we have WhatsApp. We have Facebook. We have all that jazz. They didn't even exchange, like, a P.O. box to, like, write letters to each other. Like, if they w- wanted to, like, have that connection, maybe could they could could have just written letters to each other. I don't know, because then it was just annoying. And then they said six months from now, okay. And they didn't think about, like, what if something happens in six months? Do they come back again in another mm-hmm. six months? Or they come back in another? Just a lot of logistics I was just thinking about. Like, yo, you guys obviously like each other. Just make the plan to meet each other again. But no. They wanted to keep me keep it romantic or whatever. And before sunset, they mentioned that they were like, "Oh, like we didn't even like know each other's last names." But I feel like that's the point of before sunrise because they're just like two people, and this is like a fleeting moment, and like they're in their own world. And then when they depart, it's like back to reality. So they probably wanted to keep that part magical. Like if we see each other in six months, then it's fate, you know. Like, mm-hmm. really romanticized. So I feel like it makes sense. I mean, obviously, in real life, yeah, like, exchange <laughs> contact information. But in the movie, it I don't know. I thought it made sense. Okay, I can definitely see that as well. And there's one moment. There are a few lines that you kind of can, like, call back to. The way they first met is because there's an older couple in their 40s having an argument in German, right? And Celine decides to, like, move to another seat because she didn't want to like be around that and that's how she like came across jesting that's how they first met and before midnight they're now the couple in their 40s arguing right mm-hmm. i i didn't necessarily see another couple meet because of their arguing argument 
but I, I, I would have liked to have seen that full circle. But there's another line I, I want, which is what I'm trying to get to right here. He says when he meets the two actors from the cow play, they kind of pretend that they're married or they just got married. And he said, yeah, I got mm-hmm. her pregnant, so now we had to get married. And what yeah. happens in Before Sunset, we find out he's married with a child because he felt like he needed to marry a wom- this woman because he got her pregnant. And with that, I want to talk about Before Sunset. And now a word from our sponsors. Now back to the show. Before Sunset is a 2004 American romantic drama film directed by Richard Linklater, who co-wrote the screenplay with Ethan Hawke and Julie Delpy from a story by Linklater and Kim Crisen. The sequel to Before Sunrise, 1995, and the second installment in the Before trilogy. Before Sunset follows Jesse and Celine as they reunite nine years later in Paris. The film stars Ethan Hawke and Julie Delpy reprising their roles from the first film. Jason, what did you think? Alright, so I mentioned how one film was my favorite over all three. This one is my most favorite. I think it's a very short film. It's something like 45 minutes, maybe, give or take. No, it was it was 80 minutes. Eight, yeah, very short and compared to the other two. and But they get a lot done in that short runtime, you know? They reunite, they discuss, and they're wiser, they're older, and... They kind of they, they lived their lives after that one night in Vienna. Yeah, this yeah, this is my favorite film of all of them. And I also liked how in the film they it still looks like the sun is setting. And I, I did more research into this. They the hottest days of the year. The, mm-hmm. It was like the record hottest day of the year over in Paris. So they're like really suffering for that when they made this film. But yeah, like throughout the film, you kind of see how like it still feels like sunset. Or like before sunset, mm-hmm. <laughs> throughout the whole thing, they really worked hard on that, especially given like how risky that is. Because yeah, the reason there's so many films are made in studios is because you can control the light, and the sun is like the best source of light, but it's also the most unpredictable. It's a very short window to get everything done. It's just like two hours each day, and it's always at that specific time because they can't do it midday, or else the, sh- the shadows will make their face look wrong or whatever. Yeah. But yeah, I really like this. How, what did you think of it? Like, I also really liked Before Sunset. I don't know if I like Before Sunrise or Before Sunset more. Because with Before Sunrise, it was very, like, like I said, magical. And it was very idealistic and young and carefree. It felt good to see that for someone, for people who are our age, basically. Mm-hmm. And then Before Sunset, it was more grounded in reality. It still had, like, that magical element because they got reunited after so long but it was also like they got older their lives had to move on after that and like they had time to develop as their own person and even in a i think it was an interview link later said that the tone was different for this movie because unlike with for sunrise they had like all night and they basically could develop their relationship at the time but in this movie they were time restricted they had until jesse had to go to the airport and they had like obligations that they had to do Mm -hmm. so it felt like very what's the word not rushed but like time restricted yeah i guess time they had a deadline they had a deadline yeah (laughs) (laughs) that's what i liked about it is i like it's more grounded in reality like you said and less dreamlike quality there's still a little bit of it in there because they still carry by each other. 
And in the film, Jesse mentioned like when he was on his way to his wedding, he still thought about her. And like when he was driving there and they happened to be in New York at the same time. They just didn't know. And Mm -hmm. she even said like, I lived at this place and this place. So he probably did see her in New York. He wasn't just thinking about her. It wasn't just an image in his mind. He probably saw her. And I was like, damn, that's like, damn, that sucks. (laughs) And yeah. Oh, my gosh. Like when he first revealed he was married and with a kid and she was also taken. I was just like. Oh my god, because, okay, if I was his wife and he wrote a book about an encounter he had when he was younger with a girl, I would not be okay. Not be okay with that. <laughs> for for years. <laughs> I wouldn't yeah, blame, and- I don't blame her, actually. I, <laughs> yeah. This, this happens in Before Midnight. She still resents him. And I'm like, you know, honestly, I don't blame her for resenting you. She she's kind of like being a shitty mom, but I don't resent her for hating you specifically, Jesse. But yeah, yeah, that's one of my fears. Like if I ever get married, that like the woman I love leaves me for a person that she met like nine years ago in Vienna. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, now it's like more it's more niche now. It's more niche, but that's always been like something I've always been insecure about. Yeah, that's a little bit about me, by the way, guys. <laughs> <laughs> so what else did you like about this movie? I would say that my favorite scene. Out of the entire movie was when she was singing that waltz at the yes. end. Yes. Oh my gosh! And then when I was like reading the lyrics, because I, I watch movies with subtitles, um, like it was basically about him and about right. like their encounter. And I was like, oh my god! And he wrote a book. She wrote a song. It was, it was meant to be. <laughs> but also like, the lyrics were like ended up being kind of sad. And I was like, oh no. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not okay. <laughs> um, and then, like, the movie ended with her being like, you're gonna miss your plane. And then, and then credits. And I was like, wait, but did he leave? <laughs> no, he said, I know. Oh, yeah, but, like, <laughs> it still felt, I don't know, like, <laughs> it still felt, like, a little cliffhangery. <laughs> but, I mean... Obviously, we know there's a sequel, so... Yeah, yeah. And I didn't even think about that when I was watching it. I was just so enthralled. I was like... That was like the second moment when I, throughout this trilogy that I like... I was smiling. Like, if the first movie, Before Sunrise, the moment I smiled a lot was like the when they were listening in the studio and like the... What was it called? Listening booth. Yep, in the listening booth. That was like one moment I really smiled. When she's singing to him with the guitar, that's the second moment. I think I smiled even wider because... She has a great voice, and it's a it's a cute song mm-hmm. too. But I didn't think at the moment that it's really a sad song because she wrote it not knowing that she was ever going to see him again. And I, I think when you mentioned that in um in your review, because I saw a review on Letterboxd, I'm like, yo, I didn't even think about that. And it's so, like you said, it's sad to think about that. But knowing now they do end up together and they do get married and have kids, it's like happier. But I do see how it could have been sad. Yeah, I mean, I also thought it was sad because, like, I I don't remember the specific lyrics, but I think there were some lines that said, like, oh, like, come back to me, like, give me, like, another chance. And considering that they were both, like, taken at the time, like, he was married and she had a boyfriend, and it just, like, I don't know, added to, like, that specific moment. But then he didn't leave to the airport, so I was like, oh, damn. He's a bad husband, but... <laughs> <laughs> but oh, yeah. good for them, I guess. Yeah, I actually have, like, the lyrics set up right here. 
Let me see. She said, let me sing your waltz out of nowhere, out of my thoughts. She said, you were for me that night, everything I always dreamt of in life, but now you're gone, you're far gone. All the way to your island of rain, it was for you just a one night thing, but you were much more to me, just so you know. I'm like, yo, <laughs> the, the poetry. <laughs> I know. Oh, man. She really did have a great singing voice. Yeah, and did you know she did like two other songs for this movie? Yeah, I think it was like one in the end credits and then mm-hmm. another one. It was in the beginning, like when they were first showing the scenes. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. And I also like listened to that song, The Waltz, on Spotify for like two days afterwards because I really liked it. But I try, I try, I'm trying to not listen to it too much where I get tired of it, you know? I kind of do that. Mm-hmm. And also I'm trying to like delete Spotify too because there's some bullshit right now. Yeah. Any other final thoughts before we move on to Before Midnight? Oh, yeah. Okay. So they did the glancing thing again when they were yes. walking up the stairs to her apartment. I I don't know. I thought that was a cute detail that they brought back. No, Yeah, that was cute. And Julie Delpy actually chose that spot because they were doing location scouting and she got had the decision to like choose Celine's apartment. And that place just happened to have that staircase. She, she thought that was perfect. And when you see it, I wonder how they got it because it's, it must have been like a very tight space to have the, the mm. cameraman with the steady cam like going up with them and still make it look steady because I guess that's what you have to do. He's a steady cam operator. Ooh, actually, there are two more things I want to mention real quick. When they mentioned when they first see each other again, she said that she couldn't make it and she felt horrible because her grandma had died like literally the day before or like the week before and she had to go to the funeral. And then Jesse lied at first saying, no, I didn't go either. But then you, she's like, wait a minute, you didn't? You, oh, you're horrible, man. You, you must have a good excuse. And she's like, oh, wait, you did go. What happened? And then <laughs> he was just there the whole day waiting for her. But uh, that, that must have sucked for him. That was a very yeah. good detail that they brought that back. He even said, like, I was I was always waiting for, like, the next time I ever see you to ask you, where the hell were you on that day? But he doesn't, he doesn't say that to her because, you know, that's a very good excuse. Like, she even, like, mentioned the first film. She had a really good relationship with her grandmother. She, she was just coming from seeing her, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. And then she died. Yeah, that was, like, a... That sucks. Yeah, when he first when he first said that he didn't go, like I immediately knew that he was lying. I was like, mm-hmm. there's no way he didn't go. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. What do the kids say nowadays? He was down bad, I guess. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> <laughs> down catastrophically. <laughs> oh man. But the other part that really stuck out to me. And I'm glad I wrote down notes for this because this was something that I I thought was tragic but also kind of hilarious. She said, like, every ex-boyfriend she dated, the next woman that they dated, they married. Some of them even called her saying, thank you for teaching me um, how to treat a woman. And she's like, she always felt like, always the girlfriend, never the wife. I'm like, yo, that is horrible. Like, why would you even call your ex-girlfriend and say that? Like, hey, uh... I know we dated for a while, but, like, I just got married to the girl I dated right after you. And thank you for teaching me how to be a better man. What in their right mind yeah, thinks that's when- okay? <laughs> yeah, when she said that, I was like, oh, my God. What the hell? <laughs> yeah, who on earth would call their ex to say that? Oh, man. That was horrible. Like, a little bit funny, but also horrible. Because that does happen a little bit in life. Like, damn. Okay, mm. but, like, hey, s- <laughs> side note. Back to, like, before Sunrise, when I first saw Ethan Hawke, 
I was like, why does he look like a Shakespearean villain with his <laughs> facial hair and his hair? I'm also laughing because the bookstore he's having to press tour at is called Shakespeare and Company. Oh, really? I didn't even notice that. <laughs> yeah, it's a real bookstore. Oh, yeah. They chose, like, actual, like, real locations when they filmed, which I thought was very interesting. Let's talk about Before Midnight. Let me just read the prompts here real quick. A little behind the scenes commentary right here, by the way, guys. Before Midnight is a 2013 American romantic drama film directed by Richard Linklater who co-wrote the screenplay with Ethan Hawke and Julie Delpy from a story by Linklater and Kim Creason. The sequel to Before Sunrise and Before Sunset is the third installment in the Before trilogy. The film follows Jesse and Celine, now a couple, as they spend a summer vacation in Greece with their children. This film stars Ethan Hawke and Julie Delpy reprising their roles from the first two films. Before Midnight. Do you want to go ahead or do you want me to share my thoughts? I will say that this was my least favorite out of the trilogy. Like... How do I explain? It was like, it was like watching, I don't want to say my parents, but it was like watching my parents fight. (laughs) Like, like, oh man, that hotel scene. I was just, I I don't think my friend and I like even spoke during that scene. We were just like, oh my God. (laughs) Like, stop fighting. (laughs) Mom and dad, you love each other. I agree. I agree. This one, from the very first scene when they're at the airport, when Ethan, Jesse, is at the airport with his son, dropping him off so he can go on back home, I realized this is the first time in this trilogy where they're talking to other people, to put in focus on interactions besides Celine and Jesse. And that moment with Jesse and his son, I think his name is Hunter in the movie, that felt very realistic, you know? Like he he's thirteen. They kept calling him Hank. Hank, you're right. It's Hank. I I I got the H part right. I got the H part. Yeah, right. no, I wrote in my notes. I was like, who would name their child Hank? <laughs> Maybe it was Henry, and they shortened it to Hank. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It was his name. They did interchange it with Henry, but I also don't see how like Henry and Hank. It's like I don't know. It's like those white people names where like they say the short short name for Richard is Dick, or William yeah. is Bill. <laughs> yeah <laughs> I, I never got that but yeah so he's at the airport with his son hank and it, that's like the most realistic portrayal of like a father and a son especially if the son is like a teenager at 13 where the son is just like kind of indifferent to the interaction like for him he just wants to go, go through the, like, the motions to go back home but for the father, it's like the last moment he gets to see his son for a very long time because he lives overseas and he doesn't get to see his son anymore. It hit me more when I was watching the commentary track. So I was watching, I watched the foot movie once and I watched the commentary track. It hit me more and I realized that like, wow, like I've kind of done that to my own dad too. Like I don't even notice sometimes like I just want to go through the motions or something. And after like those, some of those times, like he won't see me again for like a week or something because I... My dad, growing up, he worked a lot. Both my parents worked a lot for us, and they weren't really available because, like, they're always at work. And whenever they did spend time with us, like, it, I don't, we don't really know how to talk to each other, right? And so, whenever we do spend yeah. each other, time with each other, it's hard because 
we don't really know each other, if that makes sense. Yeah. And that's why I don't take my time for forgetting with them anymore. It hit me there, you know? It hit me there. So, yeah, that's what that's what I felt with that movie. And at first, I, I felt for Jesse, but I also, like, it's the fallout of his decision in Before Sunset, you know? And they even mentioned it in the commentary, like, whenever you follow your heart, someone pays. It doesn't necessarily have to be yeah. you, but someone does pay. And, and his decision to... To marry Celine or like to divorce his ex-wife, his son paid. So he lives with a shitty mom and his father who really loves him lives overseas. Yeah, it's it's a very melancholic start to the movie. But yeah, it's also my least favorite as well because I guess it's like more realistic, like you said. <laughs> it's the most realistic out of all three. But I want to ask you this. Do you think they stayed together in the end? I think they did. Because I feel like... Every couple that have been together for like a really long time, they always have like big arguments. At least, like they at least had a big argument, and it seemed like we were watching that big argument between the two. But they still very much love each other. I feel like they would want to like work it out to like stay together. For me, I was unsure. I'm not as confident that they stay together, but that's like something that's like ambiguous it's like an ambiguous ending that like it's really up to mm-hmm. the viewer to decide and the, the director link later said like sometimes it's like people's own projections <laughs> on how it ends mm-hmm. you know and uh, i guess he's right you know and something i also learned from this movie is that like after this movie people will come up to julie when would it come women would come up to julie and say that Ju- um say that celine was being too hard on Jesse and men will come up to mm-hmm. Ethan and say that Jesse was too hard on on Celine, and Linklater asked like, "What do you think that means?" Like, and then Ethan said, "I think that's just like projection of like how much the genders hate themselves, or whatever." <laughs> I was like, "Bro, that's kind of funny to <laughs> mention." Um, but yeah, in that argument, who did you side with more? I guess like I know like they both had they both made their own points. Mm-hmm. They were both right and wrong. But who did you see yourself siding with more? I don't know. It's tough because I understood both sides. I mean, Jesse wants to spend more time with his son and he can't because like his ex-wife hates him <laughs> and has all the custody, which I mean, the consequences of his actions. Mm-hmm. Um, so, <laughs> um, but then I also like understand Celine because like moving all the way to like the US and like foregoing her career, that's like a big thing. And they also have to think about like the twins that they have and like uprooting them. So mm-hmm. it, it, there's a lot of factors. I don't think either one was right, but I don't think either one was wrong. It was just kind of like an unfortunate situation that they found themselves in. I don't know. It's just like they would have to compromise in order to make it work. But I don't think I sided with either one. Yeah. There were some moments where I was like a little more mad at Jesse. Mostly because mm-hmm. he'll, he would call Celine crazy or irrational. I'm like, bro, yeah. stop. Like, she has points that she's trying to make. And you know she's making those points. You just call her that so that you can, like, end the discussion. But she, she's not going to let go of that. And then, like, in the middle of their argument, she mentioned, like, him, like, cheating on her with, like, some, yeah. like, some person at a bookstore. And I was like, oh, no! <laughs> no, he did not. And then he was like, as if you didn't, like, fuck, like, your ex boyfriend or whatever and i'm like oh my god both of them it was just like that 
fantasy of that couple from before sunrise kind of just shattered in front of me and i was like damn this is not a perfect love story anymore this is like too real listen (laughs) what you just said about like shattering like the perfect couple this is so funny that you just mentioned that so do you remember that scene where jesse ogles that young woman like as she's like walking back into the house do you remember that oh yeah 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 so for the film the cameraman got mad at ethan for doing that right like he said, like, Jesse would never do that. He loves Celine. <laughs> and he didn't have the heart to tell him, like, you're about to, like, this film is about to blow your mind, my dude. <laughs> like, can you believe that? Like, the movies mean so, because, like, cameraman, I think he was Greek, but, like, he, he, he'd he watched both films, right? And it meant a lot to him and his wife. And to see one of his favorite characters do that in a movie that he's filming... <laughs> Kind of like shadow. He's like he he would never do that. He would never ogle a woman. <laughs> I'm like, I just found that funny that he got mad at him. Like, bro, just do your job and film. <laughs> <laughs> One thing I'm very impressed with with these movies are the long takes. Like, mm-hmm. they're just straight up talking. These are basically monologues between two people, and it's like, oh my god, how do you not mess up? Because even when I'm talking regularly, I slip my words. <laughs> <laughs> like, I I feel like. A broken record when I say this, but it was very realistic. It felt like an actual couple arguing in a car while, like, the two kids are knocked out in the back. But, and then, like, when they started... Oh, fuck. Where are my notes? Um, okay. Well, I realized I did not write many notes for this movie because I was just, like, shocked by all the arguing. But, um... (laughs) When they first started, like, getting into it and then, like, Celine being like, I don't want to move all the way to the U.S. and everything. I was like, oh, wow. This is, like, such a such a risky argument to be having in front of your kids. Like, even mm-hmm. though they're, like, sick and, like, knocked out, like, sometimes kids pretend, you know? Like, yeah. <laughs> they hear everything. So I was just like, oh, wow. Like, they should not be having this conversation with them in the back. That's what I was thinking, too. Like... Yeah, like you said, kids are sneaky. They, you, you think they're like kids, and they, they, they don't know any better. They know more than you think, you know. And mm-hmm. I thought the same thing too. Like they're asleep right in the back. Something I want to talk about too is like when they're doing this. This was done in like four takes, and the fourth one is the one that you see in the final film. And <laughs> Ethan mentioned that like when they got so far into like the take, Ethan was thinking to himself. We've gone this far without fucking up. <laughs> he said, like, I wonder if Julie will fuck up. He didn't think, I wonder if I'll fuck up. I was like, I wonder if Julie will fuck up. Because she had trouble saying one line. She had trouble saying ticking in, like, that part of the monologue. And then when she said it, he kind of thought to himself, like, okay, we're in the clear. We can do this. But they also weren't sure if the girls in the back weren't asleep. Because, you know, they're, those girls aren't supposed to be asleep at all. They're acting, you mm-hmm. know? And when they wake up, that, that was, like, their cue to, like you know, wake up, whatever. But they're also concerned, like, are, are we even sure if they're awake? We can't even check if they're awake. <laughs> it's like one take we have. But they, the little girls in the back, they did very well. They made the waking up part believable. I was like, oh, it feels like the girls actually mm. were asleep. Also, I gotta say that the house that they lived in, in Greece, oh my gosh, it was so nice and beautiful. I have always wanted to go to Greece and I was just so jealous. And I I even wrote in my notes, I was like, wow, to have a childhood in a beautiful house by the sea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Greece is very beautiful. I When I was 16, I went to Greece and Italy. Greece first, then Italy. I was in Athens first. And I had such a great time. 
because I had read about these places in books. Evan, I was actually there. I was like, what? Mm-hmm. I'm at the Acropolis? What? Evan, later on, I was at the Colosseum. And I wish I could show you photos. I wish I could like have photos in, in like the show notes, whatever. But unfortunately, I didn't know back then how to move the photos from my phone into a computer. And the next year, I went to El Salvador and I jumped in a pool with my phone still in my pocket. Oh my god! Those photos are destroyed. There's no way of recovering them. There are photos of me in front of the Coliseum. There are photos of me of my friends when I was there. I still have camcorder video of this happening. But from then on, I learned how to transfer photos <laughs> and have a cloud <laughs> network, all of that. That's, I was like, nope, mm-hmm. this is never happening again. Because that was very tragic. But yeah, Greece, there's, there are beaches there that are like very clear water. And the beach that they mm-hmm. have there, it's, it's magical. Because it's not like here, United States... I guess in the East Coast, the East Coast waters are dirty, you know. I'm surprised yeah. I, don't, I don't come out with gills, you know. I'm surprised I'm not mutated every time <laughs> I swim in there. I, I, I don't swim in there as much as I was in a kid. But, like, when I came back to Maryland, after coming back from Italy, I never set foot in the waters again. <laughs> Unless it was, like, a pool or somewhere else where, like, I was, like, sure. Like, it was at least a little bit cleaner than green water mm-hmm. but yeah that's just me rambling a little bit but to live in greece by the water <laughs> yeah so what else did you think about this movie what were i guess what moments stuck out to you more i don't know all i could think about was that fight scene that was just a lot it overshadows <laughs> everything right like you mentioned at the beginning when we first talked about before midnight and how this is like the first movie that they had interactions with like other people aside from like each other i don't know it changed it kind of changed the dynamic of the movie for me like i really just did not care for these other characters like i just wanted to see jesse and Celine. same same yeah and i guess they were there to kind of like aid in their argument but i don't know they felt a little unnecessary. There was a line that that young couple at the dinner table said that uh, I think the girl said everyone is bound to break up. They were like super cynical, and I was like, oh my goodness, is that mm-hmm. is, is that foreshadow? Like, are they trying to hint at something? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, and then that old woman that was at the dinner table, and she talked about like her husband and how. Like, he, when he passed away, she tried to remember everything about him, and then, like, all those memories were fading. Like, I feel like all these stories and, like, this dialogue were trying to, like, relate to, like, the main characters and about their current situation, their relationship. Like, oh, maybe, like, Selena and Jesse are tr- starting to forget, like, why they fell in love with each other, and, like, this argument is, like, overshadowing that. But, I don't know. It felt, like, diverged from the first two movies in Mm -hmm. the way that they did it. And I feel like that's part of the reason why I didn't like this movie as much as the first two. That's what I felt the same as well. I also waited like a weekend because I watched before sunrise and before sunset, like pretty much back to back, you know? Mm -hmm. But I waited like a couple of days before watching before midnight because I heard that it was different to the first two. It wasn't the same. So I wanted to have like a little break, like savor the moments from the first two just a little bit before going on to this movie. And yeah, I felt the same way. I didn't really care for the other people. Like it's the before movie. We're there for Jesse and Celine, you know? Yeah. But there's something that like I kind of like when I was like, when I looked more into it, the young couple is kind of like the doppelganger version of their of themselves when they were younger, but now it's like a newer generation. 
mm-hmm. and they're able to like contact each other, have a long distance relationship because of Skype or whatever. Yeah. And the other couple, you know, with Stefanos and the other woman, I forgot the other woman's name. I think they're like one step ahead in their relationship than Jesse and Celine because I think they they've been there before. They've had a couple fights before, but like they kind of like got through them, you know. And the other two older people, they're both single people because I think they were both married and like one of them died off for each other. Mm-hmm. I think that's like two potential futures for them. So the older man could possibly be Jesse, and the older woman could be Celine. Mm-hmm. Each of them without the other. That's what I think they were trying to get through with that table scene. Like, see, like, the possible um, possible future of, like, Jesse and Celine, and also a callback to the past. I also noticed, like, a little tiny parallel with, like, um, Jesse's son. Because they were talking about how his son, like, had, like, a kiss with this girl in Greece. Yeah. And, I, and then, like, he went back to the U.S. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, that's just, like, what happened to Celine and Jesse. But, like, <laughs> <laughs> younger. <laughs> Like a decade younger. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, it was the best summer of my life. And Jesse thinks it's because of him. Like, no, man. Like. <laughs> <laughs> and now a word from our sponsors. Now back to the show. This format's a little different from other episodes. We kind of talked about all the films before talking about the production side. But let's start from the first movie. Before Sunrise. I found out that the movie was inspired by a woman that Richard Linklater met in a toy store in Philadelphia. Yeah. And it wasn't until, like, years later that he found out that she died in a motorcycle accident before they even filmed Before Sunrise. Yeah, that's tragic. Yeah. Before Sunrise, the sequel could have been... Could have not happened in general. Like, like when you mentioned it, like, when when you asked that question for me, if it never got a sequel... If it never had a trilogy and it was just before sunrise, that could have been one of the endings, you know? Yeah. It's really sad. It's like, it's like bittersweet, you know, like mm-hmm. inspired by this one encounter he had, but also she never got to see it because he met, he mentioned like, this could be a movie, just our interaction together. And she kind of just mm-hmm. laughed, like, you know, it's just like people like boasting about themselves and she never got to see it. It's, yeah. It's really sad. I know. She... Didn't get to have her Celine moment at the bookstore, basically. I think he also wanted that moment, too, a little bit. Mm. From what I saw, like, they kind of, like, lost contact with each other. They actually did exchange numbers. You know, unlike Celine and Jesse, they actually did exchange numbers and talk mm. to each other. But Link later got into a serious relationship and, like, their contact with each other, like, fell off because, you know, he has a girlfriend now. But damn... I hate that she died, man. I know. I was actually... That was, like, the first thing that I found out when I was looking at production stories. And I was like, wow, really starting off strong. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but for years, you didn't know. Like, can you believe that? For, like, 15, 16 years, he didn't know. For all he knew, he probably thought, like, it just didn't reach her. And then to find out she died Mm -hmm. before it filmed. Ugh. Let's move on from that. Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's too sad. The reason why it takes place in Vienna, why it takes place in a foreign country in general is because Link Lailer says that whenever you're in a foreign country, whenever you're traveling, you're much more open to experiences outside your usual realm. Yeah. So that's why it's in a foreign country. The reason why it's in Vienna is because he was looking for like locations for the film and he went to a film festival in Vienna. And he really liked his time there. And he said, you know what? Might as well do it here. Originally, he was going to look at places in Germany. But, like, he had such a good time in Vienna. He's like, you know, it's it's a good place right here. 
that's why it's in Vienna. And I think it's a good choice. And according to the producer, she said like it meets all the qualifications of a European city. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> I, I guess you're right. I guess you're right. And Linklater spent nine months casting the film mm -hmm. before he settled on Ethan Hawke and Julie Delpy for the parts. And once they were casting the film, they were able to like rewrite some scenes to make it better, a better performance. I read that Gwyneth Paltrow and Jennifer Aniston, before she was on Friends, auditioned to be Julie. Really? Yeah. The casting director said that. I, I didn't know that. Yeah, the casting director said that they had to... Um, shoot, I didn't, like, write it specifically down, but all she said was that there were some, like, big-name stars, like, later on that, would, like, had auditioned, and she named those two. And I was like, that's so interesting. Imagine Jennifer Aniston as... Uh, as Celine, like that would not have worked. Yeah, it would have been a different character. Like she, I don't think she yeah. can play French. She, I don't think she can. Yeah, I don't know. she's great. She's a great actress, but she wouldn't be Celine. Yeah, yeah, that's great. I I didn't know that. That's interesting. I always like reading about like who could have been this um role before they finally decided on someone, and mm -hmm. that's a really good one. I like that one. Good on you. Good on you for finding <laughs> that out. I like. That. <laughs> <laughs> so another thing that I found interesting is that like the way they were acting together so they mentioned it was a challenge to act natural because for one they're walking and they're talking and he has to make it seem natural in a way that like it seems like a spontaneous conversation and some people thought that it was like improv but you can't improvise that that's a that's like yeah. a scripted dialogue and everything was written down but they they acted in a way that like you don't even realize that they're acting they're they're natural characters they portrayed them very well. Yeah, and uh, like you mentioned before, like Julie Delpy said that she and Ethan Hawke basically like rewrote the script because originally it was. Uh, they said that it wasn't that romantic, and mm -hmm. like you can't really have a romance film without like romantic dialogue in there. So I think that like adds a lot to like their uh, natural quality of their acting because it's like if they're the ones writing and contributing to the script, obviously it's going to be in their words and it's going to come out naturally. Definitely. And there was like critical reception for it. So Entertainment Weekly gave the film an A minus rating. And Owen Gleiberman, I'm sorry, Owen, if I say their name wrong, he wrote, Small movies can be as daring as big ones. And Linklater, in his offhand way, is working without a net here. Before Sunrise may be the closest an American has come to discursive talk gamemanship of Eric Romer. So, Eric Romer, he's a French film director film critic, journalist, novelist. He was the last of the post-World War II French New Wave directors to become established. He, he kind of made films kind of like Before Sunrise, but like French, you know? <laughs> what else did you find out? So I found out that, th uh, that the train that they rode at the very beginning, like they were just like regular scheduled trains. So they would ride the trains from Vienna to Salzburg and back for three days to get that beginning scene and the shots out the window. And then for the very last shot, when Julie gets on the train, they had to time it right so that the train wasn't moving when she got on, but when she gets to her seat, it's moving. So it was like, wow. they really had to like, time it. Wow, that's, look at you, look at you. I... <laughs> You're out researching me. I like it. I love it. <laughs> I'm learning too. <laughs> I, I I just found a lot of stuff about Before Sunrise, but by the time we talk about Before Midnight, I'm going to have, like, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
Okay. That's when I was. That's where I'll step in. <laughs> yeah. But I guess we can talk about before sunset now. So, after filming before sunrise, Linklater, Krizen, Hawk, and Delpy discussed making a sequel, and Linklater considered a version to be filmed in four locations and with a much larger budget. And when his film, when his proposal did not secure funding, he scaled back the concept in the movie. And in a 2010 interview, Hawk said that the four had worked on several potential scripts over the years. And as time passed and they didn't get funding, they adapted the elements of the earlier scripts for Before Sunrise into their final draft of Before Sunset. And they would like email each other and fax each other different parts of the scripts into what eventually became Before Sunset. I think that it's really interesting because like I looked at the budget for each movie and Before Sunrise was like 25 and then before sunset was two point seven, and before mm-hmm. midnight was like three million. So I was like, "Wow, that's like a really low budget for Very. these kinds of movies." But then it's also like you don't really need a lot of budget when it's just dialogue. Like it's not like we're having like fancy B roll cutscenes of like the city or like really big CGI effects. Like they did what they had to do, and it worked out. And they made a quality movie with like <laughs> little money. They're able to make the money back too. Yeah. So, in a way, it's it's a win. It's a it's a W, as the people say on Twitter. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so the movie was filmed entirely on location in Paris, and it opens inside the Shakespeare and Company bookstore. Listen, real quick, when you say he looks like a Shakespearean villain, I just remembered Iago. He looks like the physical manifestation manifestation of Iago from Othello. <laughs> yeah, like I. <laughs> throughout before sunrise i just kept looking at his facial hair and i was like bro i cannot take him seriously (laughs) (laughs) you're waiting for that moment where he became an evil villain (laughs) yeah during the fortune telling scene i was just like oh my god this This is is it it. (laughs) (laughs) oh man and other locations include they're walking through the marais district of the forest out on this month uh, listen, I took two semesters of French in college. I still can't pronounce it correctly. So if I sound obnoxious in my pronunciation of these French words, it's because the French language is an obnoxious language. Sorry, not sorry. <laughs> Le Pure Café in the 11th arrondissement. The Promenade Planté Park in the 12th arrondissement. On board a Batu Mouche from Quai de la Tournelle to Quai Henri Four. The interior of a taxi, and finally Celine's apartment. For a film that only takes place in Paris, they would be able to get like a, a diverse set of shots in a film, especially mm-hmm. for like their given their low budget. But what did you what did you think of the locations? Were you expecting the Eiffel Tower? Because I was. <laughs> I guess yeah. It, I guess like I kind of expected the Eiffel Tower, but I didn't really like think much about the setting because I. Like I mentioned before, like they were more time restricted with the characters mm-hmm. and like how much time they had to spend before he would go off to the airport. So I feel like there were less shots of them in the setting and more like close up shots of them talking. And I also find that like because they they try to like film it in um same sequence or whatever, so it's like with the lighting that's so hard. Yes, <laughs> but I guess yes. it's 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 lucky that they were like there for like a really hot summer cuz I guess like no clouds. But <laughs> yeah, like when they 
moved from when they walked from the bookstore like down the streets or whatever and then by the time they like got inside the car it's like wow they like they really have to match that and that just sounds yeah. like a lot of work so good for the production crew yeah definitely and it even amazes me that it was filmed in 15 days you know all at the yeah. same around the same time that that's hard like i i've done a few shots i'm do, i'm filming my demo reel now and just like making sure the shots have the same color grade is difficult and it's only like 30 Mm -hmm. second shots too i can't imagine like the amount of work they had to go through to make sure a whole entire film still had the same color grading and lighting throughout the whole film it just speaks to the craftsmanship you know and speaking Mm -hmm. of craftsmanship they use the steadicam you know which for those of you who don't know it's a camera that's attached to the body of the cameraman and to make it steady that's why it's called steadicam it's used for like the tracking shots and the long takes when they're walking and talking. And there's like a the longest one of the longest scenes, one of the longest takes was 11 minutes. And I don't remember where it was specifically, but there were moments where there are like very long takes in there. And the summer they were shooting in was the hottest on record. Temperatures exceeded 100 degrees Fahrenheit for throughout most of the production. And I looked at some of the behind the scenes footage for this. Whenever a take was done both Ethan and Julie were like wrapped in like someone will come in and wrapped in in blankets. So like, I, I, I don't know why they did it, but I think it's because they didn't want them to get sunburned. I also read that a lot of people, um, a lot of viewers drew parallels with Ethan Hawke's divorce from Uma Thurman. And right. then with Jesse and his situation, I was just like, Oh wow. When, um, when art imitates, wait, no. yeah. Art imitates reality. That's the phrase. Or reality imitates art. No, you're right. You're right. Oh, oh, I don't know. <laughs> like one of those phrases. But I was just like, both. oh, wow. It's both. <laughs> yeah. And then it's like, it also like adds to it because I think Ethan Hawke has said that like he and Delpy both like add elements of their real life into these characters since they're like co-writing. So I thought that was interesting. Very interesting. I like, I saw that too. I don't, I don't know the exact details of his marriage to Uma Thurman. But it must have been like around the time before Sunrise came out. And, and it's crazy because like they're both in Gattaca, you know? E- mm-hmm. Ethan Hawke and Uma Thurman are there. And these celebrity divor- marriages and divorces, they they fascinate me, but not too much that like I look too much into it. But that's an interesting note because he did draw... Well, I guess people drew parallels between the film and his own divorce. Any other final production notes that you saw before we move on to before midnight i read that before sunrise was a studio production so it was like i heard it was harder to get funding for that movie but then before sunset was filmed in like uh i think it was a subsidiary of a production company or like like it wasn't like a main production company so it was considered more of an indie film mm-hmm <laughs> Which I thought was like interesting. Like all these movies give me indie film like vibes, but right. I think it's interesting that like Before Sunrise was actually like a studio production. Really, that's because when I watched it, I even saw like the trailer before. I thought Before Sunrise would be the indie movie, and Before Sunset would be like the studio production. But that's weird mm. to like see like the reality. It's actually the reverse. I like that. I'm learning a lot. Thank, you. thank you, Sophia. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so let's move on to Before Midnight. So this one. 
like you said, it was kind of hard to see too much, like learn too much, because Wikipedia is kind of bare on that. But luckily, commentary tracks exist, and I kind of commented on a few notes that I learned from there. So first thing I really liked, the moment I liked um, when I learned it, was that even Hawk's t-shirt in the airport is actually a reference to Greek mythology. It's like Neptune Cafe or whatever. And they chose this specifically because they talk about death in the movie. And Neptune, I believe, is like kind of like Hades. I might be wrong. Or was he like... Mm, I think that's... Or, or is he like the god I, of the that sea? That sounds correct. Or Oh, it might be the sea. Well, let me look it up. Is it Poseidon or Hades? Neptune. God. Us, the sea. <laughs> oh. But Maybe still, because they're in Greece. <laughs> it's still a reference to like Greek mythology. Um. Well, Neptune is. Roman. Neptune is Roman. Yeah. yeah. Man, these people are ignorant. <laughs> <laughs> um. Anyway, moving on. Uh, the cassette case phone that Julie had in the scene is actually Julie's phone, right? The cassette case um, phone. And she actually still has the picture of the girl sleeping. And I thought that was sweet. Like, oh, I still have that picture. And they had a little moment, a little conversation. Delphi said to Link later about photos during production of Before Sunset. This is right now, and soon it will be many, many years away. Ethan said, like, about the car scene. He actually looks like he's driving, right? I was like curious, like, huh, is he actually driving? But no, they're never really driving because it's not it's dangerous to do that because their camera's right in front of you. You can't drive if their camera's right huge cameras right in front of you. Yeah. He just said he can't stand it when people don't look like they're driving. He chose to focus on the road ahead of him. And I say this road in quotes because in reality he was staring at a big light for the scene. The, a big light they had for like the scene. He was staring at that um the whole time and his eyes hurt a little afterwards, but they got through it. They got through the scene. Mm-hmm. Also, um, when shooting the table scene, Link later he made the effort to make it feel like the audience is with the characters, like they're at the table with them. And he also confessed that both Jesse and Celine are terrible at pinball because remember, Celine said like she mm-hmm. let him win. In reality, yeah. they both suck. She didn't win. <laughs> he he, and he didn't win because he was good. He just got lucky. So. That's the truth. <laughs> and Delpy resents that she wasn't able to make a small penis joke during the table scene because it was shot down by both Hawk and Link later. And she was like, <laughs> she really wanted to make a small dick joke, but like they're like both like, no. <laughs> <laughs> I read that uh, Julie Delpy stated that she made a tenth of what Ethan Hawk made what? during Before Sunrise. And that before midnight was the first time that they had equal pay. Wow. Yeah. But then I also read that Ethan Hawke was, uh, he said like, oh, I'm not like, I wasn't aware of that. But also like, not that much money was made from before sunrise anyways. But I just thought that was like, interesting. I mean, like, the the pay gap is real. That's so, that's some bullshit because like they're both in the film like a hundred percent of the time you know and he got paid more than her and she has more experience acting than he does too she started acting when she she was 14 he did it he started with dead poets society i think when he was like 17 but damn that sucks shit 
Mm-hmm. But they, do you know if they got eventually got paid equal pay for like before sunset and before midnight? Oh, I think I only read for before midnight. Okay, that's terrible. No, I, I she should have had that small dick joke at least. <laughs> she should have had that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that would have made up for like the ninety percent of pay. <laughs> They're like, well, we gave you equal pay, so no small dick joke for you. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully, it's it's getting better, but it still sucks. I hate that. Yeah. When they were talking about the walk and talk scenes, they mentioned, and I mentioned this before, it's the hardest to do because it's a short window of time. The actors have to look natural. And there are approximately 13 crew members in front of them. And the actors have to pretend that they're not there. So, like, as they're walking, there are crew members walking backwards in front of them. <laughs> and they had, like, heavy use of Steadicam for all three films. The film takes place in Greece. So Greece has a lot of uneven roads because they have a lot of cobblestone streets. And the mm-hmm. guy who was operating it, they weren't sure how he did it. But like he's a big guy and according to to them, he has calves as big as thighs. And as he's walking backwards and holding this heavy camera, he was able to manage walking on uneven roads and make the camera steady throughout the whole thing. That was something that I found interesting because that's a, that's a circus trick right there. I would have fallen over, even on an like even on an even road. I would have like tripped or something. <laughs> so when they were writing the scene where they're like fighting in the hotel, they had to balance who was right or wrong in that argument scene. So their moments were like, "You agree with a character," but then they say something like, "You don't agree with," like, "Oh no, that you shouldn't have said that." And then the same thing happens to the other person. And Hawk said when he saw the film with his wife. He noticed for the first time how long the four-place scene was. He's like, yo. <laughs> he's, he's like sitting right next to his wife and like see that four-place scene. And he's, he's like kind of thinking to myself, like, this four-place scene kind of is a little too long. Oh, yeah. I was very surprised. <laughs> I was surprised once she took her shirt off. I was like, oh, my God, there's nudity. And I was like, oh, they're like going at it, too. And I was like, oh, my God, are we going to like see more? But then they started fighting, and I was like, oh, okay, right back to the conflict. <laughs> um, one thing that I also, like, didn't mention, but, like, you kind of, like, you can kind of see it in Before Sunset, and it kind of comes to a head in Before Midnight. Celine resents how she's described in the books. Like, she has mm-hmm. a very serious career. Like, she's, like, environmentalist. She's, like, working to, like, improve the planet. And then there are these books that exist describing her as like a floozy you know and it's never really confirmed that it's her but people like kind of like make their own assumptions like you see in the hotel scene where they're checking in the woman asks her to sign the book she's like it's you right you can tell she's uncomfortable signing the book but jesse makes her do it anyway and i'm like yo why would you do that you can see her face she's like she's like smiling yeah. but she's not smiling that's pretty much all i learned from the production one thing i forgot to mention about before sunrise was that like during the cafe scene when they were pretending to be on the phone with like a friend and like describing their situation yeah uh delphi said that she added that herself because she often would do that with her girlfriends and i'm like that's so funny because i do that with my friends too (laughs) sophia thank you so much for being here i really appreciate you being here on this very special episode where we talk about the before trilogy so i want to ask you real quick were the movies a hit or a miss with you wow they're so obviously a miss (laughs) 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 Um, (laughs) 
Uh, yeah, of course, they're a hit. I mean, I enjoyed each movie very thoroughly. Um, maybe less so for Before Midnight, but Before Sunrise and Before Sunset were just like, ah, five out of five stars on Letterboxd. <laughs> I agree. I, same, same with me. I love Before Sunrise, Before Sunset, Before Midnight, a little bit less. For me, it was three stars on Letterboxd, but the first two, five stars. And the moment that made me really fall in love with Before the Sunset, even though I was already like in love with it throughout, was when Julie sang. And I was like, you know what? I agree with Jesse. Where like, I would also fuck up my life for Celine at that moment. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> so where can we find you on social media? Okay, my user is the same <laughs> across all of these. Okay. On Twitter, Instagram, Letterbox, you can find me at Eat My Fanny, <laughs> and you spell <laughs> you spell Fanny P H A N N N I E. So don't miss out. Can you say that one more time for us? What's the username again for those of you who weren't listening the first time? Eat my Fanny. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in. My name is Jason Ramirez, and you've been listening to the Hit List Podcast. And until next time, cross off a new film from your list. Thank you for listening to the Hit List Podcast. If you like this episode, please consider giving us five stars and leaving a review. It really does help. You can also follow us on Facebook at The Hit List Podcast and Instagram at the underscore hit list underscore podcast. 